so let's recommence our series in Mark's Gospel this morning. And we're in the second part of the Gospel. And from now on, Jesus and his disciples are moving towards one place, Jerusalem, and the cross. And uh, Jesus is preparing his disciples for that. The message of Christianity is the cross. Jesus crucified and risen from the dead. Uh, Now, this morning, I want us to look at the example of this one man. Uh, He was a rich, young ruler. Uh, That's what he's often referred to. I think he was uh, the son of the ruler of the synagogue. Uh, I read that in some commentaries. So here was somebody that looked like a promising disciple. And when we read about him, uh, we read that he came running, knelt before Jesus, and he said, good teacher. That's um, a phrase that was rarely used uh, of rabbis. To call them good was to uh, really uh, uh, lavish them with praise. So he looks so promising, doesn't he? And yet, this is the only person who came to Jesus in the Gospels that went away from him in a worst case than before he came. And I can think back now of a number of people since I was converted. I was converted in university and I can remember people who came to Jesus then like this young man It looked so promising. Uh, Outwardly, they were giving all the signs of being zealous in following Jesus Christ. And now, they are nowhere. They've, They've gone away, as it were. They're in a worse condition now than when they first professed to believe in Jesus Christ. And many of us can think of people like this young man and maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like him in the sense you're interested in Christianity we've had a mission it was so good to have Roger Carswell uh, preach the gospel on numerous occasions and maybe you want to follow after Jesus Christ what strikes me about Jesus response to this young man is one thing Verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him. Do you know what that word means? It means Jesus liked him, (laughs) even though he didn't get it. We'll look at that in a moment. Jesus' heart went out to him. And this word love doesn't just mean Jesus had a natural affection toward him. He pitied him. Didn't it come out of Roger Carswell? His pity for those who didn't believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're feeling sorry for us who are Christians, but it should be the other way around. You are the ones to be pitied. Uh, uh, During the summer, I did something I'd never done before. I went on a package holiday. Have you been on... A holiday where everything is taken care of so you're with a group of people for a whole week 
And I was visiting Israel with this group of people, and many of them had paid quite a lot of money to go on this holiday. And they discovered I was a pastor. And I must say, I really felt for these people. They needed Jesus Christ, and they just didn't get it, like this young man. They were so well-meaning, a number of them finding out what my job was. They were trying to talk religion with me, and I was trying to tell them, it's not religion that we've got to offer, but a real person who can save us. And they just didn't see it, like this young man. So all I want to do this morning is answer the question, why did Jesus pity this young man? Why is he pitying us this morning if we just don't get it let me just give you a few reasons and then we'll be done the first reason is this that this young man just had a superficial view of his need of sin and the law of god Uh, listen to jesus jesus said to him why do you call me good no one is good but one that is god you know the commandments Do not commit adultery, do not murder. And Jesus just lists the five commandments on the second table of the law. And then listen to the answer of this young man. He answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Oh, what a superficial view of the law of God. Uh, Before I got ill, or was it when I was ill, I went to the Bala conference And I only managed one session. And I heard Bob Cotton. I think he's preached in this church. Did Bob Cotton uh, speak here? And in the early 80s, God visited uh, Bob Cotton's church. Now, Bob Cotton is just an ordinary man. He would say that himself. But God came upon his preaching. And what he said was this. And I didn't forget this at all. I, I can still remember it. There were no easy conversions during that time when God visited. People were thoroughly saved. Now, the problem with this young man, and I think this is why Jesus pitied him, he was so superficial. He was so easy in his view of himself and of the law of God. So when Jesus says what uh, some of the Ten Commandments are, he just says, I've kept them. He puts a tick next to them. And is there anybody here this morning who is thinking like that? Do not murder. That's fine. I've not killed anybody. But my friend, you haven't realized the purpose of the commandments. Uh, As evangelicals, we rightly uh, stand against abortion. And we use that as an example of the commandments, thou shalt not kill. But it's not just that. It's the heart's. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you look on somebody and desire to do them hurt because they've done something to you, that in God's sight is the equivalent of killing somebody. Now, can you put a tick next to thou shalt not kill and say I've kept that? Oh, none of us can. Even as Christians, we have to put up our hands and say I'm guilty, Lord. I've not kept your commandments that's the problem now do you know our fathers they used to preach a whole gospel 
there were no easy conversions. And they used to talk about law work. What's that? It's the law of God being shown in its glory and showing up our sinfulness. I've only given one example, thou shalt not kill. But all the commandments we have failed to keep. Law work. Conviction of sin, it's called. Let me give you this example. <laughs> um, I haven't been up Penavan for ages, so I hope to go up one of these days. Have you been up from Story Arms? I always check the weather now. I'm a fair weather walker but before going up a mountain. And if it says moderate breeze, I don't tend to go up. Now, a moderate breeze is nothing down here, is it? If you go up Penavan from Story Arms on a sunny day where there's a moderate breeze forecast, you're probably nice and sheltered to begin with. And you're walking up the path and you think, this is lovely. You might be walking in your T-shirt and wearing your shorts. And you may think, there's nothing to this. This is easy. But if you've ever been up that path to Penavan, you will realise that very soon you come to a bulk to a pass, to a chasm, as it were. And once you get up to that bulk, what's a moderate breeze down below? It's a, well, it's a strong breeze or a gale when you get onto the top. You feel the full force of it. And that's our problem. We are living, as it were, uh, down here, and we think we're all right. And we think we've kept the Ten Commandments, like this young man. The full force of the law of God hasn't come upon us. But once you get into the chasm, the pass, the bulk of conviction, then you feel the full strength of the law of God. The Apostle Paul had that experience, did he not? Saul of Tarsus was a religious man. He thought he'd kept the Ten Commandments. He'd added hundreds of other rules to them. And he said he was blameless. And then one day he felt the full blast of the law of God when he came to the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. And he realized that spoke of his heart's desires. And he was completely blown over. What did he say? I was alive without the law once. But when the law came, the commandments came, I died. Oh, my friend, have you felt the force of the law? It doesn't have to happen before you're converted. It can happen after your conversion. You know, when I was with these dear people on this week's holiday, oh, you know... Most of them were retired, and they were quite open. They were saying they were spending the rest of their days traveling around the world. They'd had good jobs. They'd saved up uh, to be able to go on various holidays, and I wanted to ask them, all right, you're going to do one holiday, and then you're going to do another holiday, and then another holiday, and maybe you're in your late 60s and in your early 70s, but what's going to happen then? Your strength is decaying. You're not going to be able to do as much holidays as that. And maybe if you're still there, when you get to your 80s, what's going to happen after that? You know, we had one man on the holiday. Uh, he was quite a character. Uh, he said he wanted to see as much of the world before his toes curled. <laughs> I think that was the phrase he used. He said, I haven't got long left. And I just want to get as much out of life as possible. What's after this world? However long we've got left, there's an eternity. 
And when you feel the force of the law of God, this is the problem. I'm not right with God. I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved for eternity. Don't you want that? If you're young, you don't know how long you've got left. Young people can be taken from this world. If you're old, you may only have a few months, a few years left. I remember before going away, uh, Julian, he'd be sitting there. Julian, I'd love uh, having uh, just a chat with Julian before the evening service. And by the time I came back, he's no longer with us. He's in glory. He's in eternity. He's got a saviour, so he's in heaven. So this poor man just had a superficial view of his need, of his sin, of the law of God. Let me hurry on to my next points. He had a superficial view of how to be saved. Now look at his question to Jesus. He came running and he said, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? You see, he sees he needs eternal life. He sees he needs to be saved. But because he's got a superficial view of his problem and of the place of the law of God, he thinks that by the keeping of the law of God, he can be accepted by God, and that will give him a place in heaven. Is there anybody here who's like that? I was exactly in that position before I was saved. I attended chapel. I didn't attend twice. I attended once on a Sunday. I prayed, I read my New Testament, I was good, I didn't do outward wrong, I was, well, you don't know my heart, but I was okay as a person. And somehow I thought that all the good I did outbalance the bad I'd done and that God would accept me. Now, an extreme example of that is Jimmy Savile. Uh, I remember watching a documentary about Jimmy Savile. He was, for those of us of a certain age, uh, like a childhood icon. Oh, once the allegations came out about Jimmy Savile after his death, how some of the things of our childhood completely smashed. But Jimmy Savile said, he said it in this documentary, he viewed uh, all the good he was doing as on one side of the scale and that hopefully would balance out and we didn't know at the time the bad things that he was doing oh what a superficial view of salvation jesus said how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of god and then he gives this humorous illustration it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle Sounds weird, doesn't it? The camel is the biggest animal in the Middle East. That's what these people would have been familiar with. The biggest thing, the smallest thing, the eye of the needle. What is Jesus getting at? Jesus is saying, with you and me and our efforts, even our religious activities, it is impossible to be saved. Did you get that? Uh, Peter and the other disciples, they realized who then can be saved. And Jesus, looking at them all, said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. Isn't that great? For with God, all things are possible. That's where you need to come to. When the law convicts us of our need, it shows us, You, God, must save, and you alone. Oh, I feel sorry for you if you're a religious person here this morning who's thinking 
that your church activities, your good deeds can somehow make you right with God. I feel sorry for you. Um, some of us in Wales have gone to ridiculous extremes, haven't we, in terms of trying to keep the law of God. But when I was in Israel and looking at some of the ultra-Orthodox Jewish practice, I realized that even in Wales, our extremes were nothing. <laughs> um, if you don't mind me giving this illustration, spending the Sabbath day, the Saturday in Jerusalem, was quite an experience. Now, I remembered Welsh people who uh, wouldn't do certain things on a Sunday, and these weren't Christians. They just would be trying to please God. Well, they wouldn't go as far as some of the ultra-Orthodox Jews. You know, in the hotel, the lifts, on a sun not on a Sunday, on the sat Saturday, that's the Sabbath, you couldn't press the button in the escalator. The doors would open of their own accord, but you couldn't press the button on the Saturday to open the doors. Do you know why? Because that would let a spark, and a spark was work on the Sabbath. There was no hot food, because you've guessed it, that would involve a spark, electricity. Oh, how sad to think that something like that gives us brownie points. With God. Oh, if only those ultra-Orthodox Jews knew our hymns. Do, do you know what top lady said? Not the labours of my hands. Whether I press a button on the escalator on the Saturday, not the labours of my hands. Or whether I'm relying on my coming to church, can fulfil thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? Oh, for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Have we come there to this place where Jonah, when he was in the belly of the whale, had to say, salvation is of the Lord. It's not me. It's not the church. It's Jesus Christ that saves and him alone. And that's all I want to say. He had a superficial view of the way of salvation. Look at how he deals with Jesus Christ. He calls him good. He thinks he's flattering Jesus Christ. No one would ever call a rabbi good in those days. But Jesus is saying, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. Jesus is saying to this young man, you think that I'm just another teacher, a great teacher maybe? Oh, young man, I pity you. You don't realize I am the Son of God. I am not just somebody sent from God. I am God. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God the Son came into this world 2,000 years ago and became a man, Jesus Christ. And why did Jesus come into this world? He came to do one thing, the place they're going to, Jerusalem. He came to die in our place. Um, you know, the people on this package holiday, they refer to me as the vicar, the reverend, the vicar. Ooh, I don't, please don't call me a vicar. Do you know why? I'm not a vicar. Do you know what vicar means? Well, one meaning. It comes from vicarious. And it means representing another person. Do you know why I don't like being called a vicar? I'm not your vicar. Jesus Christ is. He on the cross died a vicarious death. 
in your place. He kept the law for you and me. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Romans, and it says this, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are believing in him, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. We can't keep God's commandments. We're too sinful. God did. What's impossible with men is possible with God. God did by the sending of his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Praise be to God. Christ is my vicar. Christ on the cross not only kept the law of God on my behalf, but died the death that I deserved, took the punishments of God's broken law so that I could go to heaven free. Oh, what a salvation. We may not be rich, but in Christ we have a wealth that no one else knows about. That, that's one of the things I did when I was first saved. I saw this in Aberystwyth, and I used to love walking along the promenade in Aberystwyth. We haven't got a promenade in Cardiff, have we? Roth Park is the nearest, but it's not the same. I used to love walking on the prom, even if it was a windy day, and I felt the joy of salvation. I was saved. I had a place in heaven. I was only a poor student. And, you know, I saw those people dining in... Bellevue, it was the poshest hotel at the time in Aber. They were dining inside, and I did not envy them. I had a treasure they didn't have. Oh, I feel sorry for you if you're still trying to make yourself right with God. Jesus Christ has done it for you. You know, in Jerusalem, we still don't know where Jesus was crucified. Um, Roger mentioned uh, the garden tomb last Sunday morning. Somebody was converted there uh, in Roger's testimony. And people don't know whether it's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, that's the traditional site of the crucifixion and the burial, or whether it's the site of the garden tomb where you've got Gordon's Calvary. Well, I'm not convinced of either place. Uh, when we saw Gordon's Calvary, which is supposed to look like a skull, they said to us, there's been a landslide, so it doesn't look like a skull anymore. Well, who cares? Can I say that without being irreverent? What matters is this. The fact that Jesus died for your sin and mine. And you don't have to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or to the Garden Tomb. What you need to do is just go to Jesus Christ in your hearts. Can you do that? Jesus was, can you say this? Jesus was slain for me at Calvary, wherever that is, at Calvary. Wondrous his love to me at Calvary. And one more thing. Jesus pitied this young man because he just did not get how to be saved. Jesus saves. We can't do it. But we need to be converted. We need to come to Jesus Christ. And this poor, poor young man didn't see it. What must I do? He wasn't like a little child, was he? <laughs> we saw Jesus 
saying, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He thought of salvation in terms not of what Jesus had done, but of what he had to do. It was so complicated. Salvation's a gift. Offered freely. And a little child can understand that, as well as an adult. And we take it. I, I was tickled to read about a rich businessman in Philadelphia, I think he was 19th century, called John Wanamaker. I probably pronounced his name wrong. And he taught uh, what it was to have a childlike, simple faith in Jesus Christ. And he taught this entrance prayer to the kingdom of God. You know, when Roger prayed at the end of the meeting, it was something like that. And he put his finger on it. This young man couldn't say this, you see. Now, can we pray this? I love this. We will make heart room for Jesus, thy son. The name to sinners, dear. We live in the grace of his redeeming love, not what we do. And our only hope is the finished salvation of Calvary. And this is it. Empty-handed, full of sin, we cast ourselves at thy feet, O Christ. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Can you pray that? It's so simple, isn't it? I'm not bringing you anything, Lord. I'm not bringing you my religion, my keeping of you, O Lord. I failed. I'm bringing emptiness. In a sense, I'm bringing my sin. And I'm transferring it onto you. That's what you do. And this poor man didn't get that. I've tried looking in the New Testament for any mention of the adults of God. Have you ever come across that phrase, the adults of the kingdom of God? There's no mention. It's always the children of God. Do you, do you see that? When you become a Christian, you become like a child. You don't become childish, but you become like a child, accepting with no airs or graces this wonderful salvation. There are no adults in the children of God. We're all children. I like that. I, I, it warms my spiritual heart. And then one last thing. If you take the salvation, this free gift, with an empty hand, you can't hold on to anything else. That, I think, is what Bob Cotton meant by no easy conversions. Either you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your only hope, or you don't. As Bob Dylan said in one of his Christian songs, you've either got faith or you've got unbelief. There ain't no neutral ground. The ultimate problem with this young man was this. Even though he thought he'd kept the commands of God, his heart was full of idolatry because he trusted and lived for his riches. That's why Jesus said to him, sell all that you have and come after me. Jesus wasn't saying, if you do that, you'll earn brownie points. Oh, no. What Jesus is saying is this. If you really want to be saved, you've got to take me as Lord and Savior. You've got to... Give up certain things in order to come with nothing in your hands and accept me. Now, this isn't communism that Jesus is teaching. Jesus isn't telling you 
that you've got to sell all that you've got in order to go after him. It may mean that for somebody here, but what he's saying is this, we have to give certain things up if we want to follow Jesus Christ. That's what it means to take up the cross and follow him. A man that had taken up his cross was declaring to the world, I'm dead now to the world. I'm only alive now to Jesus Christ. So is there anything holding you back from coming to Jesus Christ, from following after him? Oh, it's not easy believism. It's in Christ alone our hope is found. But that Christ is also our master. Oh, is there anything that you're worshipping, that you're living for? You need to give it up. Do you know what it was for me? If you don't mind me saying this. I used to live for walking. Now, some of you may think that's silly, but that was my idol. I used to live for it. And I belonged to the West Wales Wanderers. It wasn't a football team. It was a walking club in the university. And the West Wales Wanderers mostly went on Sunday up the hills. And I knew if I was going to be converted and accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour, that I had to give that up. And I did. I did. Now I can go up the hills now and enjoy them, not as an idol, but as the gift of my Father. Oh, is somebody here this morning who is wanting to be saved? You may have sought Jesus Christ for a long time, but there's something holding you back. I wonder, is it because you're still holding on to something as an idol? My friend, you've got to give it up because eternity is beckoning. Life is short. And actually, when we have something as an idol, it doesn't satisfy, does it? Only Christ can satisfy. And when we come and give up things for him, this is what I found. Not only does he become our saviour and give us eternal life, but he showers us with other things as well. I find that quite amazing. How did Watts put it? I'm coming to a close, don't worry. How did Isaac Watts put it? When I survey, I don't know whether it's the Holy Sepulchre, whether it's the garden tomb, but when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain, I count but loss and poor content on all my pride were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. May we be like children. Come, come again if you've already come and just yield yourself to this Saviour who loves and pities lost souls. And if we are his, may we know something of his pity to those who still don't know him, for his name's sake.